where my sister's at. Hey, sis. Buckle up and welcome to Listen to Black Women, Our Voices, Our Agenda, a podcast project of the Black Women's Policy Agenda. Tune in to hear directly from Black women, learn about the legislative process, discussions about relevant policies, and some awesome stories from amazing Black women. Remember, your voice matters. Our voice matters. Hey, sis, it's Equal Pay Day, the day when women's pay catches up to what white men made in 2020. Last year, women earned 82 cents for every $1 earned by men. This means women have less money than men during a global pandemic. Although Women's Equal Pay Day is March 24th, Black Women's Equal Pay Day is not until August 3rd. Black women received 63 cents for every dollar paid to white men. This is a huge concern for the Black Women's Policy Agenda. So we pulled together a powerhouse panel to discuss the problem and share some solutions. Joining us, providing a national perspective is Shade Moonsami, Interim Executive Director of Family Values at Work. Providing a corporate outlook is Sabrina Saunders Mosby, CEO of Vibrant Pittsburgh. And looking through a local lens is Morgan Overton, Vice Chair of the Pittsburgh Gender Equity Commission. Welcome ladies. Shade, let's start with you. What is the gender pay gap? So the gender pay gap is the difference between how much men generally earn on the dollar and how much women normally earn on the dollar. Currently, when we look at the rates for across the board for all women, you know, we are earning an average of 82 cents for all women. One of the reasons why um, this Equal Pay Day was created is that it actually marks how much longer women would need to work into the next year to actually make the same amount of wages that white men make. And so this Wednesday, we're celebrating Equal Pay Day and it's really how long it would take for all women to kind of meet this gap. But we see that for black women, equal payday, our month is actually not until August. So it would take almost 18 months, if my math is correct, for us to actually make what white men make in one year. Wow, so much work to be done. What's behind the wage gap between women and men? Yeah, it's all continued to being looking at our systems that we have within this country and the chronic undervaluing of caregiving that we know is rooted in stolen labor of enslaved women. We know it's rooted in not caring about the work that women provide. And so this chronic undervaluing of the work that women do and how we should be paid has been kind of the core of what's behind the wage gap and really honoring and changing the narrative within this country that our work must be valued. When we look at the various occupations that are held by Black women, by women of color versus other areas, our occupations are still sorely underfunded. Um, and some of this stems back all the way to 1865. There were Black laws in 1865 that kind of restricted American Black Americans to low-wage jobs, banned us from voting, denied us educational access. And so altogether, these systems have bit been put in place to continue to disenfranchise us from the workplace to remove our power when we are in the workplace. And so we continue to see these messages and narratives being passed around caregiving work. 
I think it's been brought to more and more people's attention how much we've devalued caregiving with all of what's been laid bare, bare through COVID. Um, and seeing that our childcare providers are closing all across the country, seeing that most essential workers didn't have access to paid leave, that we haven't improved minimum wage laws, all of these, and sexual discrimination of women in the workplace, like all of these policies that continue to not be addressed by our government continues this devaluation of our caregiving in this country. Sabrina, is this concerning to you in a corporate setting? When I think about it, I think about it like this. You know what it feels like? It feels like, you know that saying, you don't want to leave money on the table? But you're only sitting there watching money that you've earned being given away to others solely because of their race, their gender, and sometimes their network. And then you get paid last and the money's always short. That's what it feels like it's triggering, it's frustrating. And um, it's just, it's got to change. Thank you for sharing that, that Sabrina. Um, we recently did a survey with almost 300 Black women and spoke to 50 Black women in listening sessions. And one of the things that was a theme across all of those conversations and throughout the surveys were the issues that Black women face in the workplace, you know, through, you know, discrimination, harassment, but more importantly, feeling like they are not experiencing the same, you know, opportunities, they don't have access to opportunities and are feeling like they aren't, you know, making the same amount of money that, you know, their colleagues are making, you know, their white colleagues are making. So there are some huge issues that we, we need to address within a corporate setting. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about a recent study that was published last week that found Pennsylvania's gender wage gap is worse than the national average. The average annual salary for a woman in Pennsylvania is $43,791, while the average salary for a man is $55,221, which equals 79 cents per dollar earned by men. The national average is 82 cents for all women. And as mentioned, it's even less for Black women. So Morgan, you work to close gender gaps in Pittsburgh. Are you surprised by this recent study? No, not at all. I mean, Pennsylvania, unfortunately, is an archaic state, um, especially when it comes to gender equity. We have so far to go, especially when we have people that look like us and think like us in the state legislature. And when it comes down to it, um, gender equity is kind of not at the priority um, when it comes to policy and legislation. Um, and that's why we need more advocacy around robust, transformative policy change. But it also comes down to, you know, employers prioritizing the work and labor of women. Um, and unfortunately, because of COVID, um, it's been called a, a she session because um, women have primarily left the workforce because work, workplaces aren't family friendly. Um, there isn't flexibility when it comes to paid family leave, and there isn't even equity when it comes to pay in general. And unfortunately, here in Pittsburgh, Black women make 56 cents to the dollar of white men. And according to the City of Pittsburgh Gender Equity Report that was released in 2019, Black women are more likely to be searching for work while out of the workforce. And we're not even being paid equitably 
for 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 jobs at all. So we have so we have so far to go just to to reach uh, square one to have any sense of opportunity. So it's not surprising to me at all. Over the course of 40 years, white women will make a half a million dollars less than white men. Black, Latina, and Native American women will make around $1 million less than white men. I mean, let's just be real, sis. Like, we could be millionaires, right? If we would equalize this wage gap and we were all making equally to what work that we do. What's your response to hearing this? We don't comprise the majority of those, those positions. And we also don't hold positions of decision-making power. And again, it just comes down to there isn't um, a sense of prioritizing, honing in on the talent and innovation that exists in our neighborhoods to the point that women feel like they have to leave Pittsburgh in order to have some sense of social mobility and just to make an equitable wage to support themselves and their families, because that's a whole other component that we haven't even talked about yet, um, to be able to sustain yourself, but also for those in your household. So now, ladies, I want to know, have you experienced a pay gap in Pittsburgh, particularly Sabrina and Morgan? I knowingly and unknowingly have been discriminated against because I'm Black and a woman. And so these are two identities that I carry with me at all times and I work hard, I'm educated, I am ambitious, and I deserve to be paid every single penny that I contribute professionally. So when we think about closing the gender pay gap and thinking about like what are what are the policies that our smallest people in this country need, right? Um, 80% of families of Black households are being led by Black mothers. And we think about the impact on their wages, the impact of the lack of protection that these workers have. Um, we can see the success of families. We can take families out of poverty. We can increase how much jobs are being created. For every investment in a care job, we see two more jobs being created. You know, I think about my own self and being out of work for the first couple of years after having my daughter in the first recession back in 2009. And no one wanted to hire me as a mother. No one wanted to hire me as a just college graduate with no experience. And the jobs I could get were low wage jobs. I was just like looking back on my like social security profile. And in the first like couple years of my daughter's life, I made probably like 15 grand. And I think about the impact that had on like my long-term ability to save for her, my long-term ability to provide for my extended family. Um, and so being able to improve these laws and really drive policies that are gonna serve working women would just have such good, impact on our economy, on our government, um, on our families. So I know that there are huge issues, you know, for our Black women who are clustered in low pay, you know, jobs, but the gender pay gap exists even at executive levels. What is an employer's role in closing the pay gap? What can companies do uh, to improve upon those things? One, building the pipeline, uh, ensuring that the pipeline of leadership is filled with uh, diverse perspectives and people of different backgrounds, which includes women, uh, specifically black women. I will say that more 
conversations around diversity and gender diversity tend to focus on white women and black women are left out of the conversation more and more. And so that has to stop doing an inventory, essentially doing a data inventory of your promotions, your pipeline programs, the way that you're investing in your employees and actually resetting making sure that you're doing things correctly. And that might require a change in pay. You may have to do that uh, in order to make things right. So a part of this is a moral imperative as well. Do companies want to do, by, do right? Do companies want to do right by their employees? That's the bottom line. And uh, we know that if companies are doing right by their employees, their employees will do right by them. So it's estimated that just by raising the minimum wage to $15 would increase the income of 40% of Black women throughout the country. What are some of the other best policy changes that would support closing the wage gap, like paid family medical leave, child care, um, salary gap bans, any other thoughts that you ladies have around policy changes that we should be supporting and pushing on the state level as well as the federal level? You know, right now, as we're getting investments coming through the stimulus package, as we have a new White House administration to work with, some of the places where we really need to put pressure on is one, ensuring that all workers have paid leave. The fact that many of our workers, many of our mothers especially, can't take paid time off to care for their children, to care for people when they're sick, is a problem, you know, um, and many of our, many folks are losing their jobs because they have to choose between taking care of their child, taking care of a loved one and going to work. And what kind of country puts us in a place where we're like, oh, I can't be by my child when they're sick or I can't be by my dying parent when they're sick or choosing a income, right? Like that's not a level that we should be in this country. Um, so be, beyond paid leave is also fighting for 15 as an across the board minimum wage um, and really pushing on this administration to honor a $15 minimum wage, which is like a bare minimum that people actually need. I know around where I am in the DC, Maryland, and even coming from New York, like rent is well over $2,000 for a two bedroom. And so thinking about what families need is going to definitely be closing the wage gap. Um, currently, there's also the Paycheck Fairness Act that's on the table and really thinking about what that looks like. So there's a whole slew of legislation that should be passed through if we really think about developing a caring infrastructure. You know, how can we pass policies that value care and how can we really organize behind it? Listening to you talk about your first job, like my first job out of college, I went to Howard, was like expecting to spur into a career right after, but then was also pregnant. And my first job was as a waitress making $2.30 an hour. And if tips weren't good, that means I wasn't bringing home any money to my family. And when we think about all of the protections that workers need, all of the income supports that workers need, like the time is now to really pass this legislation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you said it right there, family leave, paid family leave. Um, I know that the city in particular has, um, you know, introduced legislation to have 15 for their city employees, right? So that's, that's a huge, 
um, subsect of folks that work for the city and that can immensely help. And I know as someone who's part of the Pittsburgh Gender Equity Commission, workforce development is something that we're really, that's really near and dear to what we are working on for equity in the city. Um, but also this has to translate to an institutional level, um, not just institutions in the city, but also Allegheny County at large. Um, we have to look to our major employers like PNC Bank, UPMC, all of the major players, right? about what they're doing to practice what they preach, right? If you claim to help citizens with X, Y, and Z, you need to look inward and in-house and make sure that those who serve the community are also taken care of, right? Um, so I just implore anyone to continue to put pressure on, on those big corporations, but also, um, you know, what are ways that you can mobilize um, political advocacy around these things because it takes all of us to make this a robust issue. It's not just those in Harrisburg. It's not just, you know, CEOs. It's all of us. Our collective voice and impact is what has challenged and changed um, social policy throughout time. The pay and wealth disparities that Black women face affect not only individuals, but also the people around them. Since 80% of Black mothers are the sole co-breadwinners or primary breadwinners for their households, a fair salary can mean the difference between struggling and sustaining a family. I mean, it's devastating, right? Because it just seems as though we will never catch up. And, um, you know, this is simply catching up just to survive or just to even have a chance at thriving. Because the wages that we're asking for, $15 is absolutely more robust and more than $7.25. But we've been asking for $15 for so long that it's almost like pennies at this point, right? Um, I've been seeing plans for $20.25, we'll get to $15 an hour. And it's like at that point, you know, <laughs> And then, and then there's the, also the cliff effect of, you know, um, women making a certain amount and then they'll be cut off of their benefits. I mean, it's just a whole domino effect of um, just not being able to get from point A to point B. Um, so it's absolutely devastating to hear that. Um, and again, it's just, we're not asking for anything radical. This is literally our right to be able to have a chance at generational wealth, because as you said, this is a generational phenomenon, right? Um, history is just repeating itself and it's gonna have to take a coalition of us to challenge that and, and dismantle the status quo that we'll never get to square one, right? The most important part of this conversation is how can we come together as a community of black women um, supported by partners and allies to really advocate for ourselves to really change the status quo, right? We've been dealing with this for years and years and years, and we see um, the consequences of that, right? The poverty level um, of so many women um, struggling to make ends meet. So can you tell our listeners today, what are some ways that women can really advocate for themselves? Like we all know that we are being affected, even if we're not in the policy world or in the advocacy world, you know it when you get your check at the end of the week and you realize how little that you're bringing home and how big your bills are. So these are all of our personal stories, our mother's stories, our grandmother's stories that we should no longer feel ashamed in talking about and bringing it up, but feel empowered that we wanna do something about this and the way our families are being treated are not fair. The other thing is just like really getting yourself educated. What, what are the possibilities out there? What would a $15 
minimum wage look like for my family. Um, I come from a small, from an immigrant community in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, where it's a lot of Caribbean folks. And my constant way of like organizing is like, does my mother know about this law? Does my aunt, do my aunties know about this law? So passing of information is gonna be so critical right now. And when you sit down for Sunday family dinners um, and sit down in the evenings with your families or together on the weekend, like sharing and educating yourselves about these issues and what's happening and what the possibilities are in your state. Um, I think another way is like putting pressure on your local legislators to say, this is my problem and this is my story and we demand that you fix it. We demand that you close the wage gap, that you really do an analysis of the care work that's being held by women in the state and how those job, the job infrastructure needs to change to really support those workers. Um, and writing letters to your member of Congress, um, and even, you know, organizing writing campaigns from other mothers that you're friends with, aunties that you're friends with, and getting your voice heard is going to be so integral to really moving legislators right now, and moving your state representatives, no matter who they are. One thing that I really encourage people to know is that you may hear things as a women's issue or a black woman's issue, but at the end of the day, it's a human rights issue. Again, if anyone is impacted, so are you at the end of the day. Um, so again, um, I encourage people to do their research, <laughs> look up the history and the trajectory of these things so you have a clear understanding of how it's developed and evolved over time. And it hasn't evolved much, plot twist, <laughs> because we're still fighting. Um, identify legislative champions in your community, see what committees they serve on, both at the state level and the local level, and identify where they have um, worked on some movement on a legislative level. Um, also, good old community organizing, right? Mobilize people in your community to put pressure on employers. Also, storytelling, as we know, is, an, is a powerful form of advocacy. Um, having um, Black women or just workers in general talk about how a pay raise or even the stagnant wage that they have experienced has impacted their livelihoods is a powerful way for people to understand a narrative and a real lived experience. Because we tend to hear these things in the news, on TV, and just bypass it. But if we see someone that looks like us or someone that we know or somebody's cousin right here in our community, it brings it home a little bit more. So at the end of the day, I'm all about the power of the people and our impact on the ground and how it can translate into macro level change. Well, when, if companies are not willing to change how jobs are structured so that we can enhance flexibility and help both men and women balance work and family demands, uh, then we're in trouble just in general. I think the pandemic has showed us that in more ways than one. Uh, being a mom and uh, choosing uh, motherhood and career is a, you know, it can be a challenge for, for many people, especially without resources, without the flexibility of work, uh, with, within work as well. And so we do know that many people choose uh, positions that do offer more flexibility that perhaps do not offer a higher pay so that they can uh, deal with the demands of, uh, of the, the things that are happening in their lives and, and with their families in ways that some people just don't have to worry about. 
they have to start early as well. And so this isn't just for executives. Uh, this is throughout the workforce. Starting early with doing things like posting salary ranges. That's a simple thing that can be done. Eliminate salary history request. That's something else that's really important. Um, and if there is a disparity that exists after you do that audit, rectify it immediately. These things can be done. Uh, these are things that make employees feel valued. And it's not just the right thing to do. It certainly is going to uh, seriously, productively, and effectively improve uh, the business function. When we want to prioritize the most impacted in society, especially Black women, people think that you're taking away from them, right? But at the end of the day, it goes back to an Angela Davis quote that I say all the time. When Black women win victories, it's a boost for virtually every segment of society. When we have the chance to be able to contribute to the economy and keep it running, we can own our own businesses, be able to buy the houses that we want, to contribute to that generational wealth. We have options for healthcare and our food. I mean, these are all society sustaining things and they're not, again, radical things. These are just basic necessities that we need as humans. And at the end of the day, we're quickly dismissed because as you say, we're not experts. We were not seen as experts of our own experience, right? Um, so whenever we win, it, it, it's a domino effect for everything around us. Whenever there's an injustice to any of us, it's an injustice to everybody. But unfortunately, it's not seen as that because, as you said, oh, that's not my issue. Oh, they're a latter part of society. Oh, well, poor them. But I'm going to keep thriving because that's how the system is set up for me. It's just not right. So although today is Equal Pay Day, the work continues and every day should be Equal Pay Day. So our work needs to happen, not just on March 24th, 2021, but every day thereafter, ladies. We have a lot of work that needs to be done. And I wanna thank our guests for today for shedding some light on this issue and really giving us some insight in their own personal perspectives. And um, I you know, caution everyone to just stay engaged with the Black Women's Policy Agenda. And, and this is something like a lot of other issues that is very important to us. And we'll be doing a lot of you know, work. And there is more to come on this and other issues. So thank you again, ladies, for joining me. And um, we'll see you soon. Hey, sis. Thank you for tuning in. And be sure to tune in for our next episode. You don't want to miss it. Follow and like the Black Women's Policy Agenda on Facebook and Instagram. Connect with us using the links in the show key and don't forget to leave a review. Stay strong, my sisters, and use your voice.